I'm happy to be here again. Um, it's always a treat to come to Redwood City. I saw Gil briefly on Sunday at a big do at the San Francisco Zen Center. We were all dressed up in brown robes and looked very elegant. <laughs> but what's been on my mind a lot these days is what keeps coming up over and over, how, how to practice um, in the so-called world. We come and sit together and are very fortunate to have a place to come and sit together uh, where we can gather for a couple of hours or a day. Um, but most of the time we're on the highway, uh, we're at work, we're in the kitchen, we're very busy. And yet, practice is about all the time. So our challenge is to try to see what it is when it's not in the practice place. To find our place of practice wherever we are. Of course, it's becoming common knowledge. It's interesting how it's become common knowledge that the only thing that we are or have is the present moment. Even five years ago, that wasn't so so commonly discussed or even understood. That if we really look at our life and examine it deeply, all we can find is where we are right now. But how to live that right nowness when we're being cut off in traffic, or our child is sick, or we haven't had enough sleep? Or even how to get ourselves down to the, to the sitting when it's time. It all takes a tremendous amount of, of energy. Not surprisingly, energy is one of the uh, bodhisattva characteristics or guides, one of the paramitas. In Zen, we have six of them. In Vipassana, in Theravadan um, tradition, there are ten of them. They're practices that help us every day. Not esoteric, not fancy. No fancy words. First one is generosity. Because without being able to open ourselves enough to give, it's very hard to uh, practice any of the other ones, which are simply the precepts 
and patience and energy or vigor and mindfulness and wisdom. Wisdom meaning our deepest intuition, not how we think, but what our heart and our belly tells us. How we know when we really know. There are all all ways of addressing how we can be in the world and really help people. We try so hard to be helpful um, sometimes. But without being focused and present, it's very hard to know what other people are all about. So though it's a little paradoxical, it takes more energy to stop than it does to keep running around. To stop and really listen. To stop and be there for somebody. A big part of developing um, our practice is getting to know ourselves, getting to know how our mind works. As we sit, we we're watching everything that's happening, and although it looks like nothing is happening in a quiet room, it's movies and movies and stories and stories going on and on in our mind along with the train whistles and the traffic and the clearing of throats and the moving of chairs all of it a part of what we are and our attention Focused, using all the energy that we can bring to it, keeps us awake. When they asked Buddha who and what he was, he said, I'm awake. That's what it means. It's not some fancy thing. And yet it's very powerful. So cultivating our practice, sometimes we say, I'm cultivating my practice. I'm working on myself. It isn't exactly like digging ditches. But it does have some lot of energy in it required. It takes a lot of energy just to sit for half an hour as we've just done. Just to stay upright. 
my teacher, Coben Chino, used to say, um, the biggest effort that we make is just to try to keep from falling off the cushion. And there are times when that's, that's really literally true. But a bigger effort is how to bring oneself back to the meditation place day after day after day. It makes a huge difference. Sitting for longer periods, um, for one thing, settles us. We're always up and always ready to respond. Um, Like Tara with one foot out, ready to leap and take care of things. But when we sit, we begin to drop away some of those concerns and just be able to be where we are and who we are. And if we keep bringing ourselves back, that itself is cultivating. Cultivating our life. It also takes a lot of courage because so much of ourself is unknown to ourself. And when we sit, things come up that are surprising and sometimes unpalatable. When we sit, we can't turn away. In fact, we are freed if we don't turn away. But it takes a lot of courage and a lot of energy to stay put and really face what's what and just be with it. Be with us. Accept as it is. It helps a lot to create space in our home for sitting. Having an altar, just a small place for a flower where it's just One place that's dedicated only to not doing. It's surprising how precious a space like that becomes very quickly. And how it begins to inform the rest of the house. It's where our best self lives. And finding the self-discipline to sit over and over feeds us all day long, wherever we go. In Harvard, they've hooked up meditators, uh, 
especially the lamas, the Tibetan lamas and the monks who live way up in 20,000 feet in the Himalayas. Um, what they found was even 10 minutes of sitting changes your brain waves for a whole day. It's a powerful practice. It's a gift to ourself, a tremendous gift to ourself. Our biggest effort is to keep our courage because we meet so many obstacles day after day after day it's hard to maintain our confidence just in everyday life not to speak of practice Confidence is about faith. Fidence comes from fidelity, which means faith. Faith in oneself. Faith in our best self. What we call sometimes our Buddha nature. Trusting ourself, keeping faith with ourself, having confidence with ourself, creates the space for us to trust others, which is the most crucial thing. If we practice for ourselves, we are automatically practicing for everyone else. So much of people's effort is uh, for naught. Sometimes to a ridiculous extent. Because of a lack of confidence, of, of real faith in the wholeness of all, all of us. One of my students is um, an attorney, a very small woman whose parents came from India. She grew up in New York, um, tiny woman, young, who has gone to Los Angeles to work for a Jesuit priest in the uh, ghettos of East Los Angeles. Uh, helping the kids get out of gangs and into the world. Incredible. She's having an incredible experience. She meets with the homies every morning 
and offer zazen to them, meditation to them. And some of them take her up on it, and then they wanted to have discussion. And one day she um, asked them why they keep having these gang fights. People keep getting killed. People keep getting arrested and thrown in jail. Uh, it's such a mess. And one of the kids said, it's for making peace. We're doing this for peace. How are you going to get peace out of killing each other like that? He said, oh, well, when it's all over, then we'll be the winners and it'll be all peaceful. And you can see that they're spending this tremendous amount of effort waging war against each other in the most terrific, horrific way and getting nowhere. Generation after generation. There are more than 700 gangs in Los Angeles now. Unbelievable. So testing ourselves and trusting ourselves, trusting the other, the world, takes our biggest effort. Actually being willing to be this and do this. And even to enjoy it. And that, of course, is the best part. We can delight in our life. It's the only one we have. And although we talk about effort, it's not the kind of effort that creates the need for war. It's an effortless effort in which we can understand that although we're doing and doing as best we possibly can, our life is being done through us at the same time. We live and are being lived. We breathe and we're being breathed. So although it's difficult, there's freedom in it also. Tremendous freedom. And we practice not to come to some conclusion, not to uh, get somewhere. This is where it is. There isn't any somewhere else. So we can keep going. Blanche Hartman had a very nice statement about that. She said, I found that cultivating a peaceful mind is the work of a lifetime. It is not something that I will finish and then get on with my life, as I first imagined. But that just means I'll never use up this practice or wear it out. I like that. 
We'll never use it up. And we're always informed by it. Continually, it's our best resource. This, our own best self. So that's what I brought to say tonight. And now we can have discussion, questions. Questions about anything in your practice, if you like. No questions? Yes. Okay, this has to do with meditation itself, just the physical sitting. Um, Oftentimes... Okay, this has to do with um, the physical sitting of meditation. Oftentimes I find myself getting physically really cold. My hands are getting like freezing cold. My feet are getting freezing cold. I don't know if anybody else feels like this, but is there anything that I can do about it? It's getting really uncomfortable sometimes. Do you sit like that with your legs out? No, no, no. I've been sitting on a on a bench or sometimes with my legs crossed. But sometimes sitting with my legs crossed, one knee begins to hurt an awful lot. Yes. Yes. We just have to experiment to find our best position. Um, one so and shift sometimes from one to another as during longer sits that helps a lot so go from the bench to the cushion and back to the bench again Um, but staying warm wrap up just you're doing pretty well right now (laughs) but you can you can wrap up in in all anything that will keep you warmer but also, you might tend more to your breath, your breathing. Because if the breath is free to come and go, usually that keeps your body warm. It, it just naturally is, is warm if it, if it comes from here and has free flowing. Uh, so you might check how it is. We don't um, operate our breath. Buddha said, we just notice how it's going and let it come and go as it wants to go, which is hard to do, actually, because we can operate it if we want to. So watch your breath and see if you can just let it come and go. And uh, we say in Zen, because we hold our hands like this, we put our mind in our hands. And that warms us up also. That keeps my hands really warm. It's just sitting this way and and keeping my attention down here. Because as long as it's whirling around up here, um, the rest of the body isn't aware of itself. But actually, when we sit, we're sitting on toes. Everything is breathing and moving. Uh, so if we allow the whole thing to breathe uh, and enjoy it, it you, you might warm up that way, too. Any suggestions on handling pain? Just pain in general? Aches and pain. Oh, I know about that. (laughs) I know about it pretty well by now. Um, You have to be careful. Um, In the early days, I've been sitting for about 35 years. 
And in the early idealistic days, people decided they would sit through the pain and really hurt themselves. Um, I was speaking more generally of uh, a broken leg or uh, Uh muscle out of place rather than the the actual sitting. I see. Well, in that case... um, That's a very interesting subject. It's it's something I think about a lot because it's one of those occasions when we can split ourselves into two people, the one that's hurting and the one that doesn't want to hurt. And the more those two are at odds with each other, the more pain there is. So even though it's counterintuitive, actually accepting the pain, saying yes to it, helps a lot. It changes the pain completely. It becomes not an enemy anymore and an overwhelm, but a part of myself. And that's also true of sitting. Although sitting through the pain is not a good idea. Um, But sitting with the pain and befriending it uh, is certainly a part of it. Not setting ourselves up against it. Not berating ourselves for feeling it. It's the same as accepting what passes through our mind as we sit. If If we get upset and think, oh, I shouldn't be thinking like this, or I shouldn't be thinking, then it becomes a, a kind of war and an agitation. Our peace comes when we're at peace with ourself, when we can accept the whole catastrophe. <laughs> You mentioned getting to know our own best selves through the practice. Can you talk a little bit more about that? She mentioned getting to know our own best selves through our practice. Wondering if she can talk a little bit more about that. Usually when people come to practice, they're... We're the ones who are so sensitive to ourself and often are trying really hard and have a hard time really accepting and and acknowledging uh, that best self, you could say, or Buddha nature. A Zen teacher said, all beings are Buddha nature. It isn't that we have something that's special. It's just that nature itself, the way the grass grows and the trees, and how we are ourselves, is precious. So as we sit, we become more familiar with our depths, you could say with what really drives us. 
in many ways we're driven by the world. The world turns us around and tells us where to go and blows us like a big wind. But all the time there's some great stillness and kindness in us that's always at work and which we begin to connect with as we sit. That's really what practice is about. It's about our wisdom and our compassion and how we can cultivate those for the sake not only of ourselves but of the world. Much of the world is a big misunderstanding about that. That makes sense? Yes. When you're um, dealing with difficult people, people that uh, push your buttons, cause you know your anxieties or you know, your own self-image to come up, what what would you recommend as far as you know, practice to just sort of not allow, not have that happen and then cultivate compassion towards these other people that are difficult that are clearly suffering because they're projecting their suffering onto you. Yes, so the first thing is not to project your suffering on them, even if they're creating the suffering. And that's hard. It's hard not to react. And the, the more you can keep faith with your own inner uprightness you could say your own presence uh, without a judgment then it's like weather you know it's like walking out in a driving rain or something you don't curse the rain you don't have to it's just raining so if you're being rained on in a relationship then you can take it that way uh, which means that you protect yourself. You you find ways of not allowing yourself to be um, overrun, so that you can accept how they are, but uh, find ways of creating your own space and boundaries so that you're not overrun by them. And if you have that much space and if you have enough of a boundary, then you can, you can actually feel compassion for them um, because it's not affecting you in the same way. You're not, you're not rising to the temptation. It takes a lot of self-discipline not to leap forward and <laughs> have a say. But it often is very helpful to the one that you're dealing with because that gives them space to hear themselves and to create a space for them that will hold them. But it's, you know, this practice is not about being a doormat. Sometimes it's taken that way that, oh, we must all love everybody and be kind to everyone. And and of course, but... uh, in a very strong and intelligent way, a discriminating way. 
because otherwise it's not helpful to oneself or to the other. They say in Zen, one of the precepts is the precept about anger. No being angry is um, no positing a self um, against another. Uh, No creating a self against another. So as long as I'm saying I'm right, then there's already contention there. But if it's just the thing itself happening, there doesn't have to be an I in there at all. It's just the occasion, the whole occasion. It's more interesting that way, too, because you see both sides that way. I think, I think as we practice, we... we can make this a kind of scientific life too or a kind of interesting life to really see how things are. It's, in a way, it's kind of like reading a novel. We don't really know what, what's going to happen next. We don't really know how, how we're going until we turn the page and see, oh, here I am now. This is very interesting. And, and see it from a little bit of a distance, a kind of loving distance with a big heart, so that it becomes interesting rather than just uh, plodding through the day. Yes. I'm right in the middle of going through crisis in my family and um, just finding it difficult just to get through the day and I have a lot of fear and whatever wisdom that I felt that I had seems to have flown out the window and I'm not knowing how to be and finding myself reactive and so it's a very difficult time, and I wondered if you had any suggestions. There's a lot of fear and a lot of not knowing. And in the not knowing, it's not feeling like the good not knowing. Or the, <laughs> yes. um, you know, welling up of yeah. uh, inner wisdom and impatience. It's more reactivity and struggle. And just, just trying to make it through the day each day. Yes. Yes, I understand. Not knowing is um, one of those situations where if we want to know and we don't know, then we're very unhappy. Uh, and if we're able to allow ourselves not to know and just live in the dark, uh, it's a lot less painful. Because the suffering again comes when we want something we, that we can't have. Um, 
it might help you to with your fear if you uh, give yourself a chance to sit every day before you start your day and just set your tune yourself tune yourself this way first just be a completely vertical presence that's connected to the stars to the whole universe and then as your breath in the horizontal way connects with everything out this way so that you're, you're present with everything. You're not alone. And if you can do that even for 10 minutes or more, I think that will give you some kind of stability. And your wisdom is present, especially in that kind of situation as you sit. So often when we don't know um, we find out when we sit. It, the answers begin to come of where to go and how to do that we couldn't possibly figure out ourselves. So if you open yourself to the whole situation and try not to set yourself against it or have too many expectations, it it might be easier. And also, get as much uh, help from other people as you can. That always makes a big difference. If people know that we're in trouble, it becomes like a, a wave, and you can be picked up and held by it and carried by it. Sometimes we don't want to tell or make too much of it or discount it for everybody and just keep it private but often it helps to share it and be held allow ourselves to be held by others we, we can't do it alone I'll be thinking of you we all will Yes, yes. Private retreats are a good thing too. You know, just uh, going off the way Gil is to Vajrapani for a while. That's great um, as a part of practice. You can just take yourself and um, your books and your cushion and they bring you food every day. They bring you a little thing of hot food and enough for dinner. And you never see the people. They just leave it in a secret place and then you go and pick it up. And you have your own little cabin right on the edge of a hill. It's, it's fantastic. And you can practice as long as you like. Um, you know, I make a schedule for yourself and sit all day if you want to. 
It's a very good practice. It's, it's extremely nourishing. Some people try to do that at home, but it's harder. You always want to wash the dishes first. <laughs> Shall we sit for the last 15 minutes? Let's do 15 more minutes of sitting. <laughs> 